Avi on Money. 12 to 1 p.m. Only on 101.9 Chai FM. Welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. It's exactly five minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. If I was you, I wouldn't go anywhere. Anything to do with your personal savings, with your personal wealth, with your personal money, the the way to do it, the way to save, how much, where, when, why, and what, all the confusion, all the websites has really been diluted down to one book. It's come out, it's a book, it's simple, it's thin, it's easy, there's diagrams, there's pictures, and someone has taken the effort to understand what's needed, to write it in a way that is understandable, and to put it together in such a way that you've got everything you needed to know. So gone are the days where you sit at the, con- at the conversation, nodding your head, trying to look intelligent, like you sort of know what's going on. In the meantime, deep inside you think, I only wish I knew what was going on, because it's just too overwhelming. You might be a surgeon, you might be an accountant, you might be very professional in your particular field, but when it comes to money, you know you're a disaster. But the excuses are now over. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Nola Rain to the studio. Nola, welcome to Chai FM. Thank you very much for having me. Good. I don't think I'm, I'm going to be doing too much talking during this interview because there's so much to get through. There's so much to discuss. But before we start, I just want to say that I'd like to really dedicate this program to all the Chayalim Bodedim who are having the Tekes Kumta this week. I know there's a Tekes in Givata Tachmoshet for Sanchanim. And Kolakavot to everybody, the guys who are doing it. I just, you know, I know it's a long march. I know the Masai is 55 Ks, but just take it easy. Go through your paces. Enjoy it. Enjoy that last part. Parents who are going to meet their kids, please uh, try and meet them, you know, a kilometer or two out. March up with them to give it a Tachmoshet and really enjoy the experience. Kolakavot to everybody and Mazal Tov to everybody for a tremendous um, uh, achievement and for a lot of nachat that I hope you'll get at being at the uh, at the tekes, or if not, just knowing that one of your kids are going through it. Whether you know from all over the world, there are youngsters really doing their best to look after Eretz Yisrael and kolakavot uh, to them, and thank you very much. Nala, how did this book come about? Um, the book came about towards the end of last year. I um, wanted to have a look at investigating company wellness programs, specifically financial wellness. And I had all these ideas. And while investigating, I saw that there's a lot of focus on debt rehabilitation and what to do when you're in debt and a little bit focusing on what to do with managing money. So I took a step back and thought, while we're looking at people in debt, why don't we try and look at how we can educate people to avoid them falling into those debt traps? Um, a client of mine heard my ideas and said to me, why don't you write a book about it? And I'd never thought of it, but a light bulb switched on. And in December, I decided to write the book and submitted it in January for publication. I self-published. Um, and it sounds, you know, one month to write, but it's 26 years of life and experience that it's based on as well. So it sounds speedy, but it takes a long time. I, I doubt I doubt it was one month, uh, you know, two hours a day. I'm sure it was very concentrated time. Definitely very concentrated. And the hardest part about writing the book was to stop. And what I mean by that was I wanted to make the book easy to read. I wanted to make it understandable to everybody. So I'm speaking to people, not at people. I'm not trying to be fancy and technical. I'm trying to get a point across and make it accessible to a broad range of people. So it's not aimed at anyone specifically. 
And as we go, um, financial background, we can get very caught up in the details of finance. So the hardest part was to go stop and make sure that you make it interesting. Finance is not an exciting topic. I've never really come across people when you say, let's discuss finances, and they all start clapping their hands. Um, so that's why the book as well, the chapters are in different colors. I've got a graphic at the beginning, an illustration at the beginning of each chapter to kind of put a little bit of perspective, perspective, um, on the, a perspective on the chapter that we're going to cover. I've also put definitions in so that we've got a dictionary definition and then I've added a bit of my own definition just so that it becomes a little bit more layman's term as opposed to that technical financial term. Just to, I mean, there's a quote here from John Spence. Yes. Uh, and I just at the page I looked at, it's about buying a property, which is really one of my passions. Yes. And the John Spence's quote goes like this, don't think of cost, think of value. Yes. Now, that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven word statement we could talk an hour about. Definitely. And really unpack it. And maybe that should be the foundation for this discussion because that's really what it's all about. It's not about cost. It's about the value. It's not how much am I going to spend. It's about what am I going to achieve with my spend. Definitely. And I think that's what's so important is people concentrate on how much they earn and not on what they're going to actually do with their money because that's what creates wealth in your life. It's what you do with what you earn. No, no, as I said to you, we, yes. we're going to run out of time. So okay. let's quickly run to the shops. Craig, let's make the ad break short because we've got <laughs> a lot to talk about. Arby on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9. Hi, FM. Welcome back to 101.9. Hi, FM. It's 11 minutes past 12. Now, where do you come from? How did you get into this? I mean, wouldn't you have been much happier just, I don't know, doing something more exciting? I, start, I actually started off in a marketing department. So my degree was uh, BCom marketing to start with, and that was because when I finished school, I went to uh, for a career assessment. Because at 18, who knows what you want to do for the rest of your life? And I had a strong leaning for marketing and finance. It's a bit of an odd combination. Were you good at maths? Maths was not my strongest point, but I loved in when I went to university, accountancy became one of my strongest subjects. Interesting. And I loved the logic of it. And I think that's what drew me to finance. So in one of my first jobs, um, I we worked with uh, financial software, the customized financial software for big corporates. And I straddled marketing and finance and then had to make a choice because the company had grown. And I chose finance, much to many people's surprise and shock. But I wanted to approach it differently. So despite the fact that finance is very textbook, kind of follows logic and so on, I wanted to approach it in a way that made it more accessible to everybody. I got involved in the PR industry. For 11 years, I worked at a company called Magna Carta, one of the biggest PR firms. I was their financial director, and that was an eye-opener for me because there you've got creatives. So how do you discuss numbers with people who don't understand them? So you bring a spreadsheet into a room to discuss with creatives. You're not going to get the message across clearly. And that taught me that you need to speak to the audience according to what they work with and how they see it. So I started using more graphics. We had pie charts, we had graphs, and we were all on the same page. I could look at my spreadsheet, they could look at their pictures, and we all made sense. Because it's actually the same thing represented different ways. 100%. And that's the importance with finance, is we need to look at our audience that we're speaking to. Um, In 2007, I decided to start my own business, and we do outsource financial services. The company is called Capstan, and it was an exciting venture, getting involved with the SME market. 
consulting to clients, getting to see how different companies work, how different people think. And again, you start seeing where there are gaps between financial guys and the rest of the world kind of thing. So that led to my approach with the book that I wrote is to say, based on what I've seen, based on what I've experienced, how do I get the message about finance across? Because it is so important. Money is a part of our lives forever. And yet it's something that the least focus is put on, particularly from a young age. So if you look at schools today, there's many things we get taught to prepare us for our careers and for maybe general life. But money, that's such a significant part, is left out. So I wanted to have a look at how we could maybe take a step back to say, why are we teaching kids to learn about what they're going to do for the rest of their lives? Let's also help them and equip them with the knowledge of how to manage money and create the futures that they want for themselves. And that's such a good point. I see with my own children, I've had three kids who've been through matric and I've had this argument or the challenge of maths. And maths lit in a Mondays was higher and mid lower grade, whatever it was. That's right. And, um, you know, when I looked at the math lit subject, um, um, syllabus, my first thing was it's going to be like one plus one. And I was present, uh, pleasantly surprised to see that it was tangible, practical things, amortization charts. If you buy a car, how much finance are you going to need? How much interest are you going to yes. pay? If you pay this, how much quick will you pay it off? And all of a sudden I thought, who really cares about trigonometry unless you're going to go into engineering? Who cares about the other stuff unless you're going to become an actuary? But this is the stuff everybody's going to buy a car, everybody's going to buy a house. And all of a sudden I realized that there's a gap in the education. This should be a compulsory subject. I know now they're talking about history being a compulsory subject yes. because everybody should know what happened. I'm not an educational expert, so I'm not going to comment on that. But this type of stuff should be. Um, I've, I've said many times that I once walked into F&B in Kalani uh, many, many years ago, and I met a lady that I knew, and I walked over to her to say hello, and she was recently divorced, and I walked into an awkward situation. So she was standing over those glass-topped counters with the little hockeys underneath oh, yes. with the deposit slip, and she was holding the pen, and there were just tears flowing down her face. I said, what's wrong? She said to me, all the years I was married, I never put foot in a bank. How do I deposit my salary? I'm too embarrassed to ask. She had the check. She had the deposit slip. She had the pen. She didn't know what to do. And not because there was anything wrong with the way she thought, but because finances were so foreign, it was like me walking into a theater and saying, I want to do an operation, having a quick clue where to start. And yet it's something we deal with every single day. Absolutely. You make such valid points. And that's the thing that I see a lot is that finance is often kept, even in homes, parents don't discuss too much around the kids. When your kids should start understanding the things. And when you mentioned fun, uh, maths literacy, I agree with you. Those are life skills because that's, those are decisions that impact on the future that you create for yourself as well. And the lady not being able to complete the deposit slip is because money is often kept to a certain role or certain function. And it should be something that everybody has access to. It's basic knowledge that empowers you to make informed decisions, to make decisions about where you want to go. You know, so often people tell us you must save or you must. So there's a fear drive behind a lot of things. You know, if, if you don't save enough, you can't retire. If you don't do this, this disastrous thing will happen to you. And because we don't understand it, we either make bad decisions or we bury our heads in the sand and say, well, 
at some point something will come right. The whole idea for me is if we empower people with basic knowledge to build a foundation, to ask questions, to start understanding, you do create that shift towards people feeling that power of I can make a decision, I know what I'm doing, as opposed to just believing everything that they hear or say or being tempted into things that could drive them into the wrong direction. And that's something that I, w- I want to get back to the children in education. Yes. But that's something that I think that talk radio has done a huge amount of positive um, for society in general. Uh, just to quickly to repeat to you, as I've said it a few times on air, I used to go to school every day. My dad used to take me to school. School started, started a quarter to seven. And there was the, 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 the equivalent of SAFM. I don't know what it is today. Yes. And this guy with his half a in English would get on and he would rattle off numbers. And I'm thinking like... I think I'm like a half clever sort of oak. I don't understand what this oak is doing. Next year I got my own car, turned to 702, and Magnus Haystack came on. Yes. And then I realized I'm listening to this guy talk about financial matters. It's exactly the same as the other dude. But you understand. But I understand it, and I actually want to listen. Yes. It's the way it came across. The man, there was a sense of humility, a sense of just making it colloquial, and I could understand it. And all of a sudden, I thought, hold on, that's what I want to do. Yes. Because what he's just taught me is that I thought I was doff. All it was is that the guy was talking to me in Latin, and I don't speak Latin. Yes. I want to talk about children and education, but Craig's telling me we need to take a break. So let's take a quick break. We'll be back okay. in a moment. Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's 20 minutes past 12, and just to let you know, that wouldn't a hot waffle and ice cream with maple syrup be perfect right now? Yes. Now Definitely. Do you agree? That sounds very good. Okay, so I think I'm maybe we should just play some music, duck out the studio quickly. I think that's a go good idea. Come back. Right. Talking about kids. Yes. I once did an interview, I remember it was on Classic FM, with a guy, Kruger from Kruger Finance. I forget his first name. Okay. And we should have had this on-air debate where it wasn't verbal, where I was shooting daggers at him, but he was like looking at me like, kid, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. And it ended up being an hour discussion afterwards because he was saying that when you get home, you should sit down at the supper table with your children. I think it was taken for granted that most people have supper with yes. their families. Well, let's hope they do. Mm-hmm. And you should say, this month I earned X. The home expenses are Y. Therefore, you're not getting your Barbie and you're not getting your bicycle. So the kids are all in the picture. And I just said, that's insane. Kids don't need to be exposed to the stresses that we as parents have as our responsibility. They maybe need to understand things are tight. We don't have enough. Guys, we don't have it. But at the same time, I'm not going and splurging on silly things and my kids are confused. Yes. Where do you feel the medium is? I agree with you. I think that... At certain stages, it gets too complicated. So when you sit your kids down, you can cause pressure because you can say, I earn 20,000 rand a month uh, this month. Our expenses are 18,000. So we've got to be really tight on things. And it's difficult sometimes because kids don't necessarily understand the full value of money. I do believe that from a young age, children should, should be taught how to manage it. And I'll give you my input on that. But I think for kids to understand a financial situation in a house is important. But I believe, and it's something that I did, and I found it worked very well. So my daughter, from the age of six, had her own debit card. It always made me laugh because she called it her credit card. And when she stood in queue saying, I'll pay with my credit card, people used to raise an eyebrow. But what it did is I put her pocket money into that. And what she learned is to make choices. And that's what money management is about. So she would walk into the shop and say she had to have the latest Bratz doll. 
she would die without it. And I said, you've got money in your card. You're welcome to buy it. The choice has changed. All of a sudden, the doll, oh, not really that nice, or maybe I can wait. And that's how she learned to manage money. And I think kids need to have financial talk in the house. So parents often do it behind closed doors. If times are tough, let your kids understand. But don't say to them, we're in such a dire situation that we can't do anything. Let them understand that we budget. So this month, you can't have that Barbie doll. We can save up for your birthday or do chores for it. So that there's no kind of sense of it doesn't matter what I do, things just come my way. There should be that sense of I need to earn what I'm going to get. So do chores in the house. The kids might not love my recommendations, but it creates a sense of value. So I think it's very important for children to understand that money doesn't come without effort. And also then when it comes to managing from a young age, get them to do that. My daughter's now in her third year at varsity. Um, you'll be pleased to know she's becoming a financial planner. Oh, fantastic. Yes, yes. So the money, my husband's an accountant, I'm an accountant. It was subliminal. At night we played a tape. You will become an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> so she had no choice. But she's just has an allowance every month and she budgets, not because I've told her to. We've spoken about this in the household and she's developed this habit. She has an investment account and every month she puts money away. So she's understood that it come, money comes from effort, so she has to put work in to get something out, but then it's her choice to manage. She can't always go out with her friends because she doesn't have the money to do that. So she has to make those choices. And once our kids start understanding that money involves choices, and it's not all negative. You know, people think if I have all the money, then I can do everything I want. But where does the appreciation come in as well? So it's that kind of balance that you need to bring your kids up with as well. And the interesting thing, um, I find growing up, pocket money never worked. It was a, a bit of a disaster. And with my kids, it's also never worked. Like, how much do you give? And then, but if I'm giving them pocket money and they're going out, and it's like all coming from the same ATM. So um, we, we, it never really worked for us. But what did work is that we really encouraged our kids to get jobs. And I remember at one time there was a whole hubaloo on the media that children shouldn't be working. Children are not allowed to work. Children are allowed to earn. I remember thinking as kids, we would do anything for money. We'd yes. mow lawn, we would walk someone's dog, we would wash the neighbor's car. And if you were six, who cares if you were six? If you were happy to do it, uh, you know, no one was forcing you to work. No. It was a way of earning money. And I found that's the way it worked for us as our kids did work and a lot of work in the community. And um, we always, or I made sure that they didn't really spend the money because I sort of supplemented it. And then when big things arrived, they were able to afford it, like an overseas trip. Yes. Or going overseas and having your own spending money. Yes. Um, you know, there was, um, my younger son went to a school where there's a major trip in, I still think it's at eight, what's it, grade 10. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was a major financial layout, which we, 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 we did. And it was one of the most worthwhile investments as parents that we ever made. And Kolakavot Yeshiva College for that. But when it came to spending money, we, we hadn't budgeted for this thing. You know, we didn't, our plan, we weren't planning on our, our kids going to that school. Yes. But we found out that other parents, like, when the child's born, you start saving for this for event. This, okay. And yet he spent his own money. And it was such a sense of, I've earned it. I've got yes. it. And he was young. But it kept ringing in my mind that we've also got this, Negativity that children shouldn't be working. I think it's very different sitting a kid down a culpit 
to washing a car. I completely agree. And I think it's, again, what people take and they grasp onto. So, yes, we're not sending kids down a mine shaft to say you've got to go and do 18 hours labor. But kids should. I remember the first job I got while I was at school was amazing. The sense of freedom for my 12 rand 50 that I earned, which does give my age away maybe. But it was amazing because I felt that sense of freedom in that I had gone to work and I had earned something. And I worked a whole Saturday for that. But it was a great sense of achievement. And with your son as well, his sense of accomplishment being that he can go and enjoy the fruits of his labor. And I think the earlier that the kids started is the better. We're not talking about slave trade yet. We're talking about creating these opportunities because one day they are going to go into commerce and they are required to work. So it starts setting a trend from a young age, which I think is very good. No, no, let's, let's maybe jump to something less structured and less yes. pleasant. Um, I, I want to go through the, 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 the chapter, the, the, your book. There's eight chapters. They're yes. all brilliant. But something that I hear and I see on the SMS line all the time, South Africa is a rough place to live. And, and let me just paint that picture. Um, people earn money. People pay tax. Yes. But they get very little for their tax. You still have to pay medical aid. Yes, you don't have to have a medical aid. Mm-hmm. You can go to government facilities. Um, but we all know the, the gauntlet that you're going to run with that yes. one. Insurance is high in this country. Car insurance is high. Car licensing is high. Yesterday I just went in to redo my license, found out that other two cars were behind. I mean, it was 2,500 rand later, and there wasn't too much penalty in there. Um, then you're paying for security. Mm-hmm. Then you're paying medical aid. Then you're paying school fees. And in this community, there aren't government schools that accommodate kids, Jewish kids with a, a religious um, slant to their education. Right. By the time pe- parents do that, they just don't know where to turn. I know um, a lady who works for me, her, young, her oldest son goes to Christian Boys College in Benoni, a, a great school, a school that they're really sacrificing to put their kid in. The school fees before grade one are at over 4,000 rand. I thought it was only private schools. Mm. That, it's a, it is a private school as such, but it's not just religious schools. It's general, general schools. schools yes. How do people come out? Because there are certain sacrifices that people make. I'm horrified when I sit with a young couple with two kids and they say, no, we haven't got medical aid. Why? Well, if you can show us where we can get the four grand, we'll take it. How do people like that have hope how do people like that just get through the day it is a big challenge and i think what happens is people need to sit down and understand where their money is going and it does sound easy but you've got to look at what you earn and what you can what the best decisions are with what you can do with your money and the hope comes from sometimes making sacrifices for an end result and i chatted with a gentleman two weeks ago who had a great story. He stayed in one of the townships. He's a security guard and his wife is a domestic worker. And they don't earn a lot. And he was concerned about the security of his job. So he said, we need to find another source of income. And what he decided to do was build on some rooms at the back of his house. And for one year, they sacrificed and kept costs to a minimum and saved the rental income plus whatever else they could. And in one year, they'd saved 100,000 rand, which is remarkable. And then they were able to buy another property. 
And I think what happens is too often we become quite closed into our situation. And I understand that. You know, when there's a dark cloud hanging around you, there's bills knocking at the door. Creativity exactly, disappears. Completely. And I think it just takes that bit of effort to say, what is there that we can do? And is it worth the sacrifice for a year and plan the end result? You know, you, it's very difficult to achieve something if you don't know what you're working towards. So to me, it's about sitting down and saying, what do we need to achieve? And if it is a case of building up a savings or if it is a case of cutting costs, do we need to do something to generate a different form of income. I think there's a lot of opportunities available. Many people think that starting a business or doing something on your own requires huge amount of capital. It doesn't always require that. Sometimes it's an idea and taking that leap is difficult. I've done it myself. Um, somebody referred to it as blind faith because we don't know what tomorrow holds. But it's that trust and belief and sometimes it's just that effort. And it's not easy because if it was, we'd all be doing it. But it is a conscious decision that you've got to make. And if you want to change the situation you're in, you've got to look at all the opportunities that you could possibly take to change that situation. Change only happens with a physical movement. We can think about things for as long as we want. If we don't do something about it, it's never going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm smiling because my story is similar to yours, but it is not such a happy ending in that I went to see a couple out in Crystal Park, which is uh, other yes. end of Benoni, and really they, they had great jobs. They earned nicely, humble people, beautiful home. You know, nothing ostentatious. I mean, we're talking about people earning, let's say, a joint net take home around about 40. Right. And they were living very comfortably with company cars and said, guys, but the bottom line is you're never going to be able to retire. And I've got a client just a little bit further down the same area where the plots are a lot bigger who built stables for his kids years ago and they had horses and converted them into 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 um, units. And I remember a whole discussion with him where, you know, we sat down with the accountant and we actually declared the income. We put yes. everything on the books. Because I said, once you declare the income, you can deduct the expenses. Yes. And then you don't have to worry about where the money is not taking cash every. Yes. So by making within kosher, yes. yes, you might pay a bit of tax, but you don't have to look over your shoulder. Exactly. So with that in mind, I said to the government, you're a very handy guy. You're a, you know, you've got this beautiful property. I see you've got some. Why don't you maybe build a cottage or two and look at what your unit, what your property can allow, et cetera. And, and they just sat there and they nodded and I thought I'd really made a beautiful suggestion. I said, look, this is not financial planning. I'm not giving advice, but that's something to think about. Yes. The next day I followed up and I got a very cold response from the wife on the phone. So I said, hold on. This is not the bubbly meeting yes. I had. What's going on? She says, we didn't appreciate the fact that you're asking us to turn our house into a, uh, into a shelter. Oh. I said, what? She says, you want us to build shacks in the back of our home? Sure. I said, look, clearly you misunderstood me. And clearly the whole message didn't come across. Yes. But let's leave it at that. I apologize. And I've never seen them since. And then I realized that it wasn't anything that I said. It was the shift in their mind that they were not ready to make. 100%. Right now, they were stuck in that silo of today. Yes. And Later is later. Exactly. And right now they're in that silo and that's what they're going to look at. And it is, I think that is a reality. You can give people advice, input, feedback, and it's their choice with what they do with it. Somebody said to me, how do you make people safe? I said, well, if I had that recipe for success, I'd be sitting on an island somewhere with cocktails. So send them to Japan. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it's, you know, it's choices that we make. The idea is to give people information and then they have to make the choices. And you know what? Good financial management and becoming financially savvy does take commitment. 
And it's about time as well. So there's got to be balance in your life so that what you do is you do enjoy your life and you have a drive to succeed and achieve more. But you need to be committed to the decisions that you make. If you decide to start saving and to put money aside, and retirement also has many options. You've got retirement funds and policies that you can use. And there's also different forms of income. And that's what's so important as well is people only look at one. I liked you up until now. Okay. But now you've just gone up on my estimation. I oh, thank you. Because the bottom line is that that is the biggest fallacy in the world. That if you don't have a retirement annuity or a pension fund, you're never going to retire. Yes. There are thousands of parallel paths yes. to retirement. And if you are a gifted carpenter, you might spend two years making a piece of furniture that is going to give you that lump sum that will allow you to buy a piece of machinery, that will allow you to mass produce it, and you'll be retired at 40 yes. without a retirement annuity. Exactly. Or you might be the dude on a job where you come out every month and your retirement and your pension and your unit trust are crucial yes. because you do those maths on this, all this fancy software you have, yes. and that's how you retire. Mm. But to say that if you don't have a financial planner with an insurance policy, you're never going to retire, well, I think you definitely won't retire. Right, let's get back to the bottom of it. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the show because there's just so much to discuss and I'm just watching the time flit away. <laughs> Payslips. Yes. It happens to be all the time. Where they, no matter who the person is, they take this thing and the first thing they do is they take it out the drawer, out their briefcase. Yes. Then they rip it down the side where it's all perforated and, and then they open it and then they put it face down and then they pass it to you like it's toxic. <laughs> yes. And they say, just tell me what it says there, like almost as if it says you're going to not be here tomorrow morning or yes. you are getting fired. And all they'll say to you, I'll send you, I'll get them via email and I'll send them to you. And that's never been opened. Mm. And you call them back, like, what is your password? What, what? do you mean? It's <laughs> yes. a, a trauma ID number? <laughs> yes. And why? Because it's an absolute fear as to what's going on in your payslip. And it's the scariest thing because all your payslip really is, is, how much are you putting in your pocket after SARS has been paid, maybe your medical aid and your pension, and how much has the company agreed to pay you? 100%. And to me, I always find it fascinating, and I saw that a lot, particularly when you interview people, and you say, what salary are you looking for? And all that they can speak about is their net. And you say, do you have benefits? And it's, um, I think so. I'm not sure. Because you're right, people don't check their pay slips. And the important thing is, is that when you go into a job, they give you a salary based normally on a cost to company. But you get this offer, and your offer and your net are vastly different, and we don't know why. People will complain and say, oh, I've had taxes, and I've got other deductions. Look at your pay slip. Confirm that what you were offered is what you're getting paid. Understand the deductions that you have as well. And it's not a frightening document. People will say to you when you go and apply for, for if you're going to apply to buy a car, they want to prove you need proof of your income. They ask for your pay slips. Know what you get paid. When you go and sit down with a financial planner, know what you get paid. Because when you're going to budget, if you don't know what you're earning and what benefits you have, how do you know to plan what you still need to spend? And it is a scary document that to me is the simplest form of information. But at the same time, some of them do get very complicated. And I think what should be part of all take-ons for new staff is here's our pay slip and this is what it means. Because I think it is important for your staff to understand because each company is different. So in the book, I've got a basic example. If I had to have everybody's pay slip, I think I'd have 200 pages just on different pay slips. Now, I joined a corporate and I went over to a manager after my first 
payslip. And I said, who do I speak to about this? Because I can't work out yes. what the hell is going on. And I actually sat down with the HR lady and you could see she just does it by road because everybody comes with the same. Same questions. And my question is, why like this? And I says, we have to because of the, I said, but it doesn't show clearly what the net is. It doesn't show clearly what the gross is. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. I said, yeah, but it's not the top and the bottom. It's, and you know, it was a, just a, a very interesting thing. Just before we, we run to the break, the biggest mistake that I find people make when they negotiate their salaries is they're not clear about gross and they're not clear about net. And I see you, you're Fully nodding agree there. with you. Let me ask you this. If somebody is going for a job interview now, I mean, not talking about a big corporate position. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a, and they say the salary is X or the salary is Y. Or they say, they say to the person, what would you like to earn? The way I negotiate with my staff is my staff actually don't care how much tax is paid. They only care about how much hits their pocket. Yes. So I'll say, your net salary is going to be 10 in your pocket. Yes. Over and above that, I'm going to be paying PAYE, URF, da-da-da-da. Therefore, your cost to me yes. is 13. Yes. But you will get net. And when we negotiate it in a year's time, we'll negotiate the net. I will tell you what it is so that when you get another job offer at 15, now that's not five grand more. It's maybe 500 rand more. 100%. I agree with you. So you working it backwards, which is great. What is also important is just that people even ask for a dummy pay slip to get a better understanding of what's going to be put into their bank account at the end of the month. So you're feeling the pressure from Craig also. I, I am. See. I can see. Right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Avi on money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. Unfortunately, it's 19 minutes to 1 o'clock. Um, for those of you who are listening to the show as a replay, it's yes, it's a replay, so don't check your clocks and get all nervous. <laughs> um, Nola Ray in the studio with me. We're talking about her book, Money Wit, Becoming Financially Savvy. Nola, let's go through the chapters of your book. We know why you wrote it. We know who you are. We know you're an accountant. With a personality, which is quite interesting. Thank you. Let's go through this. The first thing is your payslip you've done. Then personal income tax. I could, I could just see a whole lot of bodies like contracting and blood draining from faces and white knuckles and steering wheels. Because the moment you're talking about personal income tax, people just sort of lose their appetite and other things. I agree. You'll see the illustration we've actually got for that chapter, I think sums up what people feel about income tax, which is the monster coming out to get you. And the reason behind that was that it's to understand what your obligation is. Unfortunately, once you start earning money, you become part of the tax community. And that's a reality. But understanding how to register and when you need to complete your forms, it's actually quite simple. But there's a lot of fear again. You hear people going to jail for not being tax compliant or my friend wasn't compliant and SARS has been phoning and there's people after to collect and we don't understand it. So the idea behind that is to understand why you need to register the steps to register, and then when you need to complete your tax returns. And something that I touched on in um, completing the tax return as well is things like a travel allowance because that often creates a lot of confusion with people in two ways. One, what the taxpayer's obligation is, but two, from an employer perspective, because sometimes we don't have the tax structures that we used to have many years ago. Payslips were even longer because you had entertainment allowance and this allowance and that allowance. Those good old days. Those good old days. And SARS took them all away from us. But the travel allowance is important and it's important that you understand it as employee so that you don't get employed by somebody who says I'll build in a travel allowance for you 
And then you get penalized because a travel allowance is when you're traveling for the company, not to work. And often that's what happens with people is they get caught up and then they've got an extra tax bill to pay. So it's a very short-lived tax relief that they have. In fact, it's you're borrowing money that you need to pay back. Exactly. Um, you've got an example of a logbook. Um, I just want to get back to that in, yes. in, in a moment. But really, I want to just put a word out there and, and, and just tell me if you feel I'm incorrect. If you've got a bookkeeper or an accountant or a tax consultant or anybody who doesn't do things quickly and efficiently and tells you they're busy with it, they'll get back to you in two or three weeks' time, leave them. I agree. Get the hell out of there because what's going to happen is that you're just going to keep being fuffed around Mm. and nothing's going to happen. When it comes to this type of stuff I completely agree with you And I have experience with that Where people don't want to pay But expect good results Or they find the cheapest Businesses, my best is they find a bookkeeper That is so cheap And their business shuts down Because nothing is recorded correctly They don't know what they're doing And it's because people believe Financial software is an accountant Which I always find interesting I've got somebody, she's not expensive at all But I've got the software You must remember garbage in, garbage out Software can't determine where things need to go It's the user that does that 100% You need to find an accountant who will give you timelines, who will demand things on certain times. And do yourself a favor. Be honest with yourself. If you are not going to keep slips and keep schedules and do things, then find a person who's going to do what they call a shoebox bookkeeper, a shoebox audit, where you take everything out of your wallet once a week, you chuck it in a box, and either they come and fetch it or you deliver it, and they pay you to do that work. But rather pay the money. Then have sleepless nights or every time you go overseas and you get to that, <laughs> yes. that counter, you know, you, you have this feeling like, please, oh, God, please, not me. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely right. Okay. When it comes to the logbook, yes. um, I just want to give my two cents yes. with, especially commission earners, logbooks are crucial. Yes. SARS is very clever when it comes to logbooks. They can see the difference in a logbook and a comic book. Yes. So a lot of, People write up their logbook at the end of the year from information like petrol slips. That's fine because you've got the slips, you've written down the mileage, you're now working with your diary and you're yes. putting in all the names. Beware. SARS is going to come back very practically or realistically asking for the people's addresses and their phone numbers. Yes. So if you put your cousin down, tell him to expect a phone call. Um, but just be realistic with that. A lot of people, it's simple because you work on a contract. So you go from your home to pick and pay yes. in, I don't know, Sando, where your contract is, do it for six months. That's fine. People like me see three, four people a day. Yes. So what have I done? I've made sure I've got an electronic logbook. I use my DQ track for my discovery insure. It gets loaded, downloaded every single month. It gets tallied with my diary. It takes... Two, three hours, but it's done monthly. You times that by 12, you're not looking at two days. You're looking at two weeks. You are 100% correct. And your solution, I would highly recommend because we don't, we always think we can remember everything and it's not possible to do that. And your solution will work for so many people and make life easier. You know, what we often do, like is 
you said earlier, good quip, quip is deep quip. The problem that we do is we always want the quick way out. You then sit at the end of the, finan- the, the, the tax year. Your accountant contacts you to say, give me your information, and now you're trying to put together a logbook. SARS knows what they're talking about. You know, it's like when people try and under-declare earnings while they've got assets of higher values. SARS knows and is connected. We need to know that when we're only fooling ourselves. And unfortunately, the cost after that is far higher than getting somebody to assist you putting the right systems in place from the start. You know, one thing, one of the first rules of auditing, I remember I wasn't a very good auditor. I didn't do it for very long. But the first thing I was taught was take the income statement from this year and take one from last year and put them next to each other and just glance down and see if it's anything materially different. Yes. If it was 20000 last year and it's 82000 this year, that's a problem. Exactly. But if it's 20 and it's 22 or 30, that's fine. We'll get back to it. Let's deal with the things that SARS does the same thing, guys. Exactly. If you earn similarly on commission and your travel is roughly the same, maybe a little bit more, your office expenses have gone up, that's all fine. But if you're going to throw a curveball, make damn sure you've got the paperwork for it. 100%. Completely agree. Right. Chapter three. Yes. Uh, um, just to try to explain the illustration. It's a chap surfing a hundred rand note. <laughs> and it just depicts what budgeting is. So it's it's almost like trying to surf a, a an uncharted area, something that you don't know, so you're not comfortable about. But you've got to get on the board and you've got to start doing it. Yes. Let's talk about budgeting just for a few minutes because everybody okay. thinks they know what it is. But in your mind, what is budgeting? Budgeting is knowing where your money is going. So when you draw a budget up, often people think budgeting tells you what you must do. So I have to pay this bill, I have to pay that bill. But it gives you an opportunity to see where your money is going. You know, paying bills individually. So I might have two or three accounts to pay, but I'm paying 500 rand here, 200 rand there, 1,000 rand. So in my mind, I think it's more or less all right. When I budget, I put down every single expense And all of a sudden I can say, oh, my goodness, I'm spending this much on credit card debt. What am I doing? I need to cut back. What is going into my savings? Because that savings should be a line on your budget. It should never be something that is an optional item. And then there's things like an emergency fund because life happens. Your washing machine breaks down. Your car battery needs to be replaced. You need new tires. And what happens is when those emergencies come in, we've spent all our money. We don't know where it's gone because mid-month comes and it's finished. And then finished. we pull out the credit card because plastic is so convenient. And that's the problem. We don't feel money anymore. We swipe. So it's an easy decision to make. You walk into the shop. You don't go, I haven't got enough cash in my wallet. You go, I've got a card I can Do you use. remember that day of going shopping and you only had two checks left? <laughs> and you weren't sure which shop you were going to go to. Yes. Um, we need to go to an ad break, but just before we go, that one word you've got in your budget here, miscellaneous. I'm sorry, the most evil word of in a budget. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Avi on money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 Chai FM. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm, I'm trying to get the words out so quickly, and I've just made a decision. I'm not rushing through the rest of this book. Okay. You're going to come back. Awesome. Because... This is a discussion that needs to happen. So I will speak to the powers that be and let's put something in the diary for a yes. two or three weeks time. And then let's finish off, finish off the books. We've got eight chapters. We've done your pay step. We've done personal tax. We've, we've spoken about budgeting. Let's talk about saving and investment and let's see how time goes. And if we don't finish, well, then we'll just bang on about it when we come back. Perfect. Um, 
What is the difference between saving and investing? The main difference lies in a difference lies in risk. So with investing, there is an element of risk that you need to consider. Savings, um, I think it's a habit that we need to start. A lot of people have the same understanding with savings and investing is that you need lump sums. A lot of people I've spoken to haven't started saving or haven't started investing because they don't have a large amount to deposit. You can start with whatever you can. Savings has no restriction. You can start with any amount. Investing, it depends. And then I would also, one of my recommendations is to trust the professionals. Uh, there are so many ads that you see online nowadays about, you know, become your own investor and pay for this short course. It's not what you do. You don't specialize in that. Do you watch the markets every single day? Do you know what decisions to make? And, I mean, we've seen a lot of market changes in the recent months. Steinoff is the one that comes to the fore all the time because that was probably the biggest shock. I don't think many people saw that coming as quickly as it did. But when it comes to investing, it's also about having conversation, understanding what your risk exposure is like. Are you somebody who likes low, moderate, or higher? And let somebody explain. But to me, what I'm trying to drive is ask questions. I'm not an expert, but I can ask the questions and gain an understanding. And when you're speaking, like you said earlier, find the right accountants. It's the same thing when you start investing. Find somebody who can work with, who you can ask all the questions, who when they say to you when you retire, you'll have a lump sum of so many millions. Say, what does it mean in today's terms? Ask these questions so that you can make informed decisions. And when it comes to savings, savings, um, You've got the benefit of compound interest. Now, I know a lot of people don't believe that that's the secret to success, and I don't think it – yes, I had a gentleman – When did that hard and fast, almost fact change? Um, last week I did a talk. It was very interesting. I had an 80, 80 or 82-year-old gentleman who completely disagreed with me and said to me, there's no way you can create any wealth. The examples of compound interest speak for themselves. I mean, the fact that you're getting interest on interest, the fact that you can take small savings amount, and I've got an example in the book. It's all about time, though. You know, um, my favorite example of savings is like a diet. When we go on diet, if we don't lose five kilograms in week one, we go, worst diet ever. This just doesn't work. However, if you stick to it, over time, the weight starts coming off. And your life starts changing. You find people then start going to gym a bit more often. All eating habits change. Lifestyle changes happen. And it's the same with savings. Give it time and see the benefit. Because time does go by quickly. The interview has gone by far quicker than I ever imagined. On that note, have you heard Alan Gray's advert on the radio at the moment? The new one. Uh, no, no, I have seen about the TV. T- about time. Oh, I haven't. Invest. It's very slow and it's very deep and it's very monotonous and and then you need to invest, and then you need to wait. And then when you think you've waited enough, you need to wait, wait some, some more. And the reason I haven't spoken to Ellen Gray, but Ellen Gray has an amazing um, presentation that they give many, many times a year of a particular client who panicked every time there was a market movement and sold low and bought high. Every, just the wrong, way. the wrong way. And the show the corrosion of capital was tremendous. If she had just sat down, and not touch the money. Yes. What would what would have happened? Um, and the funny thing is, 2016, the best performing asset class was cash, and that just goes to prove that compounding interest has a major place, especially for an 82 year old. <laughs> but that was a whole different discussion, that one over there. I think that was just to cause controversy as well. But it's true. And to me as well, though, it's about choice. If people don't know what the benefits are, how do they make informed decisions? And that's what matters to me. Now that you're coming back, until then, how do people get hold of you? How do they get hold of the book? 
The book, I have a website, www.moneywit.co.za. And what is W-R-T? Yes, that's correct. And then I am also on social media, Instagram and on Facebook, at Nola's Moneywit. And just so that you know, we post tips weekly. Um, daily, we've got posts going out. And the idea is to keep the momentum going. So it's not just about read the book. It's about keeping the ideas top of mind. So we post so that you've got the idea of how to budget, how to save, tips and advice the whole time. My idea is to keep the flow going for as long as possible. Would you mind if your tips are retweeted, reposted? Not at all. Okay, so what I'm going to ask you to do is to send them to me on Facebook. Yes. We'll post them. Um, Please make sure that people can know where they came from. So they're not mine, that they're yours. Yes. Um, And let's do that and let's see the response that we get from it. I'm sure it's going to be overwhelming. Great. And we need to wrap up. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Great. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. We'll speak to you next week.